Welcome everyone. This is the Maintenance Corner podcast, episode one. My name is Ben Milligan and thank you for joining me today. In this podcast series, I aim to cover a vast array of property maintenance topics and I'll give you an idea of what it's like to work in property maintenance. This is my first time ever doing a podcast, so hopefully it will improve and improve as time goes on. I see it as being a monthly thing, but we'll just have to wait and see how things go. This first section of the podcast, which we'll call This Week in Maintenance, is just to go over some interesting projects that I've been working on over the past week. The first project is on reletting of a woman's refuge. This has been a really big project, so I could easily dedicate a full podcast just to this project. But for this episode, I'm just going to give an outline of what was done to bring this large building back to a lettable standard. I won't be going into the particulars of the lease, and I'm sure there'll be a bunch of things that I miss out, but I'll try my best to give a good overview. A normal void inspection of a domestic dwelling can be fairly straightforward. However, larger commercial type buildings can present a number of challenges. We were on a bit of a timeline as our insurance company had set a time frame of 90 days before extra measures would need to be implemented for an empty building. So we really wanted to have things wrapped up before this. To give it a bit of context, the women's refuge building had eight flats, a lift, communal laundry and kitchen facilities, offices, meeting rooms and playrooms, as well as a large landscaped area. It was fully furnished with household goods and electrical items. There was security panels, fire panel, sprinkler system, underfloor heating, secure door entry and fob access throughout the building. So plenty of things to consider. Firstly, before any work started, I set about creating an action plan, which was taken from a template from a similar project. This set out what we needed to consider and assign people to carry out those tasks. This involved an initial inspection of the building, as well as looking over the as-built construction files, which was quite interesting as the plans didn't exactly match up to what I found on site. After this, my colleague carried out a void inspection and organised the utilities. We transfer utilities over to a preferred supplier. This is also an opportunity to repair damage to meter boxes and damaged meters. One external gas meter, for example, was submerged in water. It was then the case of sending void works over to the main contractor, as well as organising a bunch of safety checks. These included electrical safety checks, gas safety checks, portable appliance testing, energy performance certificates, ensuring cyclical checks were up to date, for example, fire detection and lifts. There were also a heavy uplift required in the garden area, where large SIP panels had been left. A SIP panel is a structural insulated panel, these things were very heavy and large and had been left to rot from a previous project that had never went ahead. Our contractor was able to cut these up and dispose of them. This was after a bunch of companies refusing to take this work on as the panels were too large and not easily accessible. The landscaped area also needed a bit of tidying up, which another colleague of mine arranged. I helped facilitate the viewings of the building and this project should be all but tied up within the next few weeks. So that was the first project I was working on. The second project is to do with alterations. The next thing I've been dealing with in the past week is unauthorized alterations. 
I can't really go into the most recent case as it's a live case and I can't, it wouldn't be fair for me to go into. But I am going to publish a blog soon on the alterations process where I'll go over some historic examples that I have worked on. Unauthorised alterations can be a bit of a nightmare, especially when it comes to major component replacements or structural alterations. This is where having a good alterations process is important, as well as ensuring tenants are well informed. Another quite big job I've been working on the past week is a major works project. Now the term major works is defined by the Scottish Housing Regulator, and what it basically means is if a void property is getting certain works done, the void days will not be counted as part of the association's average void relet time. So it pauses the stopwatch in terms of the void days that are being counted. So for example, if a property requires a full rewire, replacement kitchen and bathroom, or full property decor, it would be placed into major work status until these works are completed. And these days during the work period will not be counted towards the void relet time. The tenant from the property I'm working on refused a new kitchen and bathroom when these projects were being carried out in the area. So as a result, they're now needing to be replaced. There's also a bunch of alterations that are unsafe and need to be removed. So last week involved meeting contractors to go over the work that will need to be done to get the costs in uh, and that will allow us to review and take forward options appraisal. And what an options appraisal is, is basically looking at the property, looking at all the different options. Do we carry out the work? How much will that work cost? You know, can, can we sell the property? You know, what are the options there? The next thing I want to talk about is the ASCP conference. I was really looking forward to attending the, the Scottish ASCP conference. ASCP stands for the Association of Safety Compliance Professionals. The conference is in Creef Hydro. Uh, this Thursday, which is the 26th of September. Unfortunately, I can't go now, but if you work in social housing as part of a maintenance team, I definitely urge that you at least consider attending this. Last year was great, and it had a bunch of really good speakers. And this year, I had to look at the programme, and some of the topics that are getting covered are the likes of fire safety, electrical safety, asbestos, legionella, gas safety, and much more. Just to be clear, this isn't a sponsored shout out or anything. I just want to uh, you know, let you know that this is a really good opportunity for maintenance professionals to network and learn something new. There's also an English conference down south. I actually went to the one in Leeds a couple of years ago where it was really fun. I met a bunch of great people. Ended up staying in the hotel overnight uh, for an extra night because I didn't want to drive back to Scotland at a silly hour. There will be a conference down south, which I think is being held in the Celtic Manor in Newport, which is in southeast Wales, uh, and that is in May of next year, so that's May 2020. If you have enjoyed the podcast so far, I would encourage you to check out my website, themaintenancecorner.com, where I have plenty of in-depth blogs that look at different maintenance-related topics, from building dampness right through to Japanese knotweed. I also carry out tech reviews on surveying equipment, so feel free to check that out. I just completed a review on the Protometer MMS2 flooring kit, where you can use the hygrometer function to check the relative humidity in concrete floor slabs. I've also got a bunch of reviews in the pipeline, so stay tuned for them. Now. 
back to the podcast. Health and safety news. I like to keep an eye on the HSE press releases, as for me, it keeps the topic of health and safety in a prime focus. A recent incident which I'd like to share is one of a roofing contractor who were fined after a fatal ladder fall. I'm going to read part of the press report and give a few comments in of this case. I won't be naming names and it's more about the lessons to be learned rather than the people involved. I've got a sli- I've slightly edited the, the content to make it easier to read, so uh, that being said, the case reads as follows. An Aberdeen-based roofing contractor has been fined after an employee fell to his death from a ladder while exiting a scaffold. Aberdeen Sheriff Court heard that on the 21st of September 2016, an employee fell from the top rungs of a ladder when it slipped sideways on the scaffold. The scaffolding had been erected by one of the employees of the company, and the ladder was tied using a blue nylon cord to the scaffold ledger at only the left stile. The HSE inspector that carried out the investigation estimated that the lateral movement of the ladder was due to the lack of secure fixing. The HSE found that an employee of the company had erected the scaffold even though he was not a qualified or competent scaffolder. He had been asked to do this by the company director who was aware that he was unqualified. The director then allowed three people to access the scaffold. The scaffold was not erected to the correct standard. The company pleaded guilty to breaching Regulation 4 of the Working at Height Regulations 2005 and Section 33 of the Health and Safety at Work Act and were fined £53,000. Speaking after the hearing, the HSE Principal Inspector said the following, Falls from height remain one of the most common causes of work-related fatalities in this country and the risks associated with working at height are well known. This tragic and preventable death highlights the need for those undertaking work at height to ensure it is carried out safely, that industry guidance is followed, and that relevant regulations are complied with. It is vitally important that those planning and arranging for such work give sufficient regard to the risks posed to workers and members of the public through their actions." I felt like this case was worth covering as I actually used to work in roofing and it just seemed that this was such a preventable, easily preventable accident. There's a really good book called The Site Safety Handbook prepared by Steve Bilby, published in 2008. I think this is the most up-to-date version of this book. It has a ton of excellent safety advice on ladder access, scaffolds, as well as covering a bunch of other health and safety topics. The HSE website also has a scaffold checklist, which is a guide that is intended to clarify when scaffold design is required. Then there's the National Access and Scaffold Confederation, who have paid guides which you can also purchase. So there's a raft of information out there if you want to learn more on this topic. Looking at the picture on the HSE website, you can see a bunch of issues, both with the scaffold and how the ladder is placed. It's maybe worth quickly just going over some safety advice for using ladders. For example, arranging ways of getting tools and materials safely onto the scaffold so that both hands are free to grip the ladder. Securing the ladders properly and having someone foot the ladder 
or fixing the ladders if it's over five meters, ensuring the ladder has a level and firm footing, which is really important, setting the correct slope and extending appropriately above the landing place. So all of these tips are things that you can look out for. I've recently done a blog where I discuss another case where a roofing director fell from a roof in high winds. So if this is something of interest, then you can certainly find that on my website. In other construction news, we have an article published on September the 12th by pbctoday.co.uk and it states the following. Electricity breaches increased by 31% on construction sites. Uh, so this article relates to electrical non-compliance against the wiring regs. The article reads, the Building Safety Group has reported a 31% increase in the number of electricity breaches occurring on construction sites. BSG's report follows the new IET wiring regulations introduced at the beginning of the year, which means construction sites must be fully compliant and up-to-date with the latest BS7671 wiring laws, especially in relation to how cables are supported in the event of a fire, whether using cable hooks, ties or hangers. The change of the wiring regs follows the tragic death of two firefighters at Shirley Towers in 2010 who became entangled in fallen cables. ESG's report was based on 20,000 independent site inspections, which compared the first six months of 2018 with the same period during 2019. The most common types of infringement included damaged and trailing cables, damaged wire sheathing, and exposed conductors. BSG safety advisor Craig McCarter commented the following, quote, construction fires can spread rapidly because of flammable materials exposed and contained within a site. Knowing how the cables are better managed will significantly reduce the risk to workers as well as emergency service crews. The new IET regulations mean that cables must be adequately supported against their premature collapse in the event of a fire so that they fall on the corridor and do not trap people. End quote. Now, I think this is a really good thing. I think it's good that sites are being checked for compliance against the wiring regs. I think that... It also highlights the importance of properly supporting cables, which is good, and I think that's something that we can all take on board. The next piece of construction news comes from the RICS Built Environment Journal, September to October 2019. In it, we have the news that the Grenfell Tower report has been delayed. The Phase 1 report from Grenfell Tower Public Inquiry is now expected to be in October, while phase two of the hearings into the building refurbishment will start in January. The inquiry team has said that the writing the phase one report was far more complex and time consuming than anticipated. Now, just on this, I've had a few discussions with various people on this very issue after Grenfell just happened. Uh, you know, people seem to make political reductionist arguments which doesn't really get to the to the gist, to the to the issues at hand. Um, you know, obviously we'll wait and see what the report finds, but I think there's going to be quite a lot in it. I think there's going to be a number of things, a list of er errors that have taken us to to where we are, 
Uh, and I think, you know, it's really going to be interesting to find, you know, what this report says and, uh, you know, hopefully learn from it, learn from it so it doesn't happen again. We already are learning from it. The, the, the Scottish government have uh, have asked all housing associations to provide information on their uh, high-rise buildings and uh, information on the, the insulation used. And I know a number of local authorities are taking down cladding uh, that they deem to be uh, dangerous. So, we ha- you know, it does seem that there has been lessons learned uh, but I think more lessons will be learned after the report is published. The next bit of construction news comes from aco.co.uk. Now, this is uh, to do with the new British standard BS 5839-6-2019 fire detection and fire alarm systems for buildings. Now, this British standard covers specific recommendations for fire alarm systems in all domestic premises and covers uh, both new build and existing properties. The standard contains a large amount of detail on all aspects relating to the design, installation of fire alarm systems, but one area of it covers the type of alarm to install and the areas of property to protect. So that's from ACO. Now, ACO has a great little booklet, uh, and, and that details the BS standard. And ACO are actually really good at providing training, uh, both to landlords as well as installers uh, that are carrying out upgrade works. In Scotland, there has been quite a big change to the fire safety standards as from the 1st of February 2021, an amendment to the tolerable standard will require that all houses, regardless of tenure, must have a satisfactory provision for detecting fires and for giving warning in the event of a fire or suspected fire. So what does this actually mean in terms of fire detection? So... In terms of satisfactory fire detection equipment, there'll need to be, as minimum, the following. One smoke alarm installed in the room that is most frequently used for general daytime living purposes, which is usually a living room. One smoke alarm in every circulation space. One heat alarm in every kitchen. All smoke alarms and heat alarms to be ceiling mounted all smoke and heat alarms to be interlinked. Now, the interlinked part is quite important because they will need to be connected via RF or wired uh, or a hybrid of both. Now, the alarms can be mains operated with battery backup or tamper-proof long-life lithium batteries. So that standard that the Scottish government have put into place is going to bring it pretty much similar to the British standard, the BS5839. Um, So that's definitely one to watch. And a lot of housing associations will be putting things in place to ensure that they do meet this standard. The final bit of news comes from the Property Care Association website, where they talk about the publication of a government report on Japanese knotweed. You can get this full report from the article 
but essentially it lays out two main points which are the lack of research and issues with the existing RICS framework on Japanese knotweed. So more research is going to be completed in this area and the RICS will look to update their framework. Now an interesting side note is that the research which is quoted in the government report I actually highlighted in a blog and an article I wrote for the Building Engineer magazine in November 2018 so don't say I'm not ahead of the curve. Both of these points are quite good though as Japanese knotweed can often be overblown and catastrophized into something that it's really not so I welcome the findings of the report. If you're looking to find out more on Japanese knotweed definitely check out my website you'll find the blog uh, on Japanese knotweed there and uh, if you're looking to find out more. Well this is the end of episode one of the Maintenance Corner podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can follow me on Twitter at TMC underscore admin followed by email through the website themaintenancecorner.com other social media channels like Facebook and Tumblr. Feel free to submit your questions, comments, concerns. I appreciate your support and I hope to see you again next time. Thanks.